Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 1st. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 35, second paragraph on the page. Today's readers are Carol P., Fran, Penny E., and Judy B. The reference number for Friday, September 28th, is 3082. DOA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Rita to read the 12 Steps. Good morning, everybody. This is Rita, a compulsive overeater. One, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. I will now ask Katie to read the 12 traditions. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purposes, but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 
five. Each group has what but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, thus problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Katie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 35, paragraph 2. And I will ask Carol P. to begin reading, please. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, a vision for you. My name is Carol, a compulsive overeater. Our first example is the friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable World War record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. And I'd like to share on that. There's a lot I can identify with there. Um, I had a loving husband, healthy children, a roof over my head. Um, a lot of things going really well for me. But I can identify here where it says he um, has, you know, except for this nervous disposition. Boy, did I have a nervous disposition. I really just couldn't stand to be in my own skin. Um, I told myself that I ate food to calm me down. It calmed me down. I, I needed to calm down so i get t to that food coma. <laughs> it was more than calm down, and I would pass out. Um, I just I didn't know when to stop. I couldn't stop. So, you know, that I can definitely identify with a nervous disposition. So 
uh, thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Carol. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Press star one to unmute. This is Katie, a compulsive reader. Katie, go ahead. Um, yeah, I like this example because it. so many times I try to fix the external parts of my life. I thought if I just had the right job, had the right apartment, had the right friends, had the right other things, then I would no longer have this desire to kill myself with food. But he had, you know, from everything that um, this says, he was, you know, he was a good guy, except his reaction to eating, I mean, to drinking. And that's the way it was for me, that um, it wasn't the external uh, circumstances that would fix me. Um, it didn't matter that I had all the reasons in the world to stay abstinent. I could not stay abstinent on my own um, will. So uh, that's all I'd like to share. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far. And we described all his the attributes of his life, which looked well indeed, as we can see. We'll see that's it. On the outside... What we could only see was on the outside. But then it said, except for a nervous disposition. That Also, you could see he had that disposition. What is that? You know, a nervous disposition, a tendency, uh, you know, uh, emotionally, uh, that um, restlessness. You, you know that anxious feeling like, ooh, I need something. And you didn't have that something with all those things that transpired before. That wasn't enough. Not the family, not the job, not the good feel. None of that. But the part that I think he did no drinking until he was 35, held it in check. You know about that. But in a few years, uh, once it t- takes over, and it does take over, be clear on that. Anyway, I want to leave with that last nine. On leaving the asylum, he came into contact with us. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Paula. Thanks, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Susan in Florida. Susan, go ahead. Thank you. Again, Susan in Florida, I can so identify with this paragraph. The things I did when I was eating, I so tried to be normal. I so I was pretty smart. Nobody knew what was going on in my house. They thought I had a wonderful marriage and things were quiet. And inside the house, things were chaotic. It got to the point where I was so anxious and I was so angry and I was so intoxicated with the food. My my son put his fingers to his face. He goes, hit me right here. And I did. I slammed him in the face. And then I was driving with my husband once in the car. And I was so angry at him. I had just gotten done with a binge. 
just not two minutes to leave the house. And I put my hand right across his face in front of the kids as we're driving, and I jumped out of the car. That's how crazy I was. I had nothing. I had nothing to. I. I was in program. I had nothing to rely on. I had no power outside of myself. I was my own power. And it was the most horrible feeling I had. And I'm so grateful to be able to identify with this because today I know I don't have to do this. And I can have a happy life as long as I have a God of my understanding with me. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? I'm sorry, what was your name? Tasha. Tasha, go ahead. Hi, my name is Tasha. I'm a compulsive overeater, um, recovered for today. And um, I just want to say that, you know, I was I was the same way. I can completely relate. Uh, everything was good in my life. Um, I had a great job, um, a wonderful husband, uh, two wonderful children, um, you know, financially stable, had everything I needed but I could not put down the food. Um, And it's because I ate no matter what. I ate when I was happy. I ate when I was sad. Um, I ate when I was excited. I ate when I was content. There was always a reason for me to eat. And without a spiritual experience and a connection with a higher power and... In in going by my higher power's will, there's no way I can do this. I can have all the willpower in the world, and there's no way I can recover without God. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tasha. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Lois. May I share? Sure, Lois. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. It says uh, he is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did, not, he did no drinking until he was 35. And I wanted to comment on that. For, for me, this, this just jumps out to me that this is, a, a, um, this is a perfect example of the disease process of, of compulsive overeating or alcoholism that, you know, everything in his life was going well. He was able to uh, be successful in all areas of his life, and he, he had picked up no alcohol at this point. But, you know, it seems as though he had the uh, disease. He had the um, other parts of his disease, such as as soon as he activated the physical part of his disease, the physical allergy, he was off and running. And, and that was description of the uh, nervous disposition for me to me is is a description of the um excuse me my mind is slow i just woke up <laughs> a um restless irritable and, and discontent and then as soon as i it picked up the food ah that was what i needed and with that i sh- wanted want to pass thank you <laughs> Bye. Mm, thank you lois would anyone else like to share on this paragraph this is Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Hi, Christy. Hi, Vision, for you. Uh, but, um, in looking at this, I'm, I'm looking at Fred, and he's a partner in a well-known firm. 
he's uh, he has a good income, a fine home. He's happily married, the father of promising children. He's got everything, and more than likely, Fred feels entitled to everything, and he shouldn't have any problem that he cannot solve on his own. And we can tell that he thinks that way because the doctor is trying to tell him that he's got a problem, and and it's it's worse than what he thinks because. Fred's trying to minimize the problem. He's trying to find, uh, he's trying to, uh, you know, it was a year ago, it says here, we saw Fred about a year ago in the hospital, and he he uh, had a bad case of jitters, which really means that the disease had progressed significantly. Um, and then later it says the doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. And how many of us are have been worse than we realized? Um, and that deception that we live in as uh, as addicts. And then for a few days, he was depressed about his condition. So for a while, he accepted that he had a problem, and maybe it was worse than what he had thought. But then his feeling of entitlement, perhaps, and, uh, or his feeling that life should not be that way, that his problem should be different than what it is. Um, he made up his mind that on his own he could solve it. And he made up his mind that he was going to quit drinking. He was going to solve it. This would be the solution. And it didn't realize. Now, even though he had met, apparently he had already met Bill, and um, they had explained to him what his problem was, but he was determined to solve it on his own. And he would not believe himself an alcoholic. I think about myself in the rooms for years, years and years and years. I went on uh, sitting in the rooms back and forth. Well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll try this. I'll try that. And I'd have um, periods of recovery and pseudo recovery oftentimes i'd stay off the sugar for 3 years you know and then i'd take a first bite of something else and that would lead me to the food um and so what um what so fred finally comes to believe as we go on we'll find out more of his story and with that i pass thank you sharon we're going to move to the next paragraph. Fran, will you go ahead and read that next paragraph, please? Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family, for whom he had a deep affection. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Is there anyone that would like to share on what was read?
morning. This is Penny E. Penny, go ahead. Good morning. Penny E., com- recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, here's the but. You know, we got to be careful for the buts. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Ding, 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 ding. You know, the bells go off. The lights are, are blinking. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. He failed to enlarge his spiritual life. It doesn't say, you know, he failed to go to meetings. He failed to call his sponsor. He failed to weigh and measure his alcohol. He failed to do writing, you know, all the tools that we so often talk about, you know. Uh, he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk, you know, half a dozen times. Uh, this Again, this is our inheritance. Bill is telling us, you know, be careful over and over and over in this book. Our recovery is dependent on our spiritual life, our connection to our higher power. So uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Thanks for letting me share. Mm. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. You know, in the beginning sentences there, you know, we we told him what he knew, and and it sounds like he listened. And the answer that they had found, and, you know, it says he made a beginning. You know, that's it. We make a beginning. And look at what happens when he made just this beginning. His family was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman, okay, for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time. Well, doesn't it, though? Doesn't it? Whew, things are going good here, girl. But he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Well, if you don't enlarge your spiritual life, let me tell you, life gets larger than. It always happens. Something happens, and it's so large, and you can't meet it on your own. And with this failure, he couldn't meet life on its own terms. And then to his consternation, and you know, this is the word, dismayed. I mean, this guy was astonished. What? What? I'm doing good here. I mean, he really was dismayed and astonished. What? What happened here? He found himself, now look, at drunk. Half a dozen times, not once, not twice, six times. Now, not one day, then the next week, no, no. no. In rapid succession, boom, 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 boom. No break there, no break there. On each of these occasions, we work with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. Again, he agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew now he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. But this last line, moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had a deep affection. He loved his family. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He needed more. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And like Jim, you know, I certainly um, had periods in my life where I, you know, I had it made. You know, um, you know, I was able to go to school and finish my degree, and I had a really good job, and you know, I was traveling, and um, you know, none of that mattered. None of that mattered because. 
as it says here, um, you know, failing to enlarge my spiritual life was also my problem. You know, if I keep thinking the way I'm thinking, I am eventually going to go back to the only way I know how to think, which is the food. So, you know, the answer to any of my uh, situations in life, any, any discomfort I might be feeling, um, you know, anything that I don't quite know how to deal with, living life on life's terms, you know, my answer is going to be, you know, my solution to any problem that came up was going to be to eat. Um, and the big book tells me that the greater aspect of my disease centers in my mind. The greater aspect of my disease centers in my mind. So it wouldn't matter that I had put the food down and that I had stopped eating. The only way I was going to stay stopped is to have what the big book describes as a spiritual awakening, a complete transformation, a psychic change, a way of thinking and acting and believing that's completely different than what I did before. And, you know, you know, like Jim, I, you know, it, it didn't matter what I was going to lose. You know, it didn't matter what was at stake. None of that mattered. None of that mattered. You know, he's going to lose this lucrative automobile agency that, you know, he was you know, he, he was working in and he was going to lose his family that he loved. He was going to lose everything. He'd already been in the asylum. He'd already been in the asylum and he was going to go again if he, if he kept doing what he was doing. He was going to lose his family. He was going to lose everything. He was going to lose everything if he did not enlarge his spiritual life. And, and that's what the big book does for me. The big book comes to life for me in my life. You know, cracking open these pages in the big book, I need to practice these principles in all my affairs. I can't be a dry drunk. I can't put the food down, you know, get to a maintenance weight, be able to tuck in a shirt and put a belt on and go out there and act the same way I did before. If I do, you know, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything. I have to. I have to. I have to live the principles of the big book in all areas of my life. In all areas of my life. And if I don't, I am in big trouble because there's a lot at stake here. Just like Jim, there's a lot at stake here for me as well. I will lose everything. I will lose everything. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else that would like to share on this paragraph? I'm sorry. What's your name? Carolyn. Carolyn, go ahead. Hi, I'm Carolyn, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I know it. For me, this paragraph is paramount because I I did go into those institutions, and I was on the brink of losing my life because I was just that close to taking it myself. I couldn't live this way anymore. I just didn't know what to do, and I was struggling and flailing around swimming around looking for what what is it that I'm missing in this program? What can't I get in this program? And one day it dawned on me that my higher power was no longer with me. I had no sense of God. I had absolutely no sense of God. I could not feel God living within me. And I remembered that the one time that I did have a bit of program, I had that sense of God within me. And then once he was gone, my program went with him. But I never realized that until I got into the study of the big book and started tearing these pages apart with everybody on these lines and understanding more and more that that's what was missing all that time. And when I look back, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. When I look back on it, I think 
wow, it was that simple and I could never get it. I thought I was that constitutionally incapable person of ever grasping this program, and it was so simple. It was so simple. I had to start by finding a higher power first, which meant that I had to reinvent my higher power because I didn't trust the one I had. I no longer trusted. But once I felt like I was in control, all was good, but it really wasn't because I lost control, and then I wanted to just die. But once my higher power came back into my life, the higher power of my understanding today, the one I recreated because the old one just wasn't working for me. And it was just so awesome that uh, Ebby told Bill that he could create a God of his understanding. That was, that to me was such an empowering statement because that's what I've done in my life. I have recreated a God of my understanding so that today I can live a life that's second to none. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carolyn. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Nicole. Nicole, go ahead. Hi, Vision for you. Hi, thank you so much. This is Nicole, a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I really do love that little line right there, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And what I really love about it is that it is so simple. Um, you know, when I was in the food, I had, and if I had gone the wrong way, oh, I thought, okay, so I ate this wrong, or oh, I didn't do this, and it was, it was actually very complicated. I always felt why I couldn't get well. And here they just make it so clear, so plain, it is just your spiritual life, period. But because the solution is so simple, it doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. Um, and I think we can all fall into the trap, probably like he did, where, wow, it is so simple, and look at how great I'm doing. And we start to let go of picking up the steps and doing the work and and uh, working on our spiritual life. So it's just a great reminder of how beautifully simple it is and yet how we do need to stay diligent to um, stay in contact with God um, through the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Nicole. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Let's move to the next paragraph. Penny E., would you please start reading on page 36? Yes, good morning. Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remembered I felt irritated, and I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. Excuse me. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar, for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at the table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. 
So I would like to share. Thank you. Penny E. Recovered compulsive overeater. Yet he got drunk again. No surprise. No surprise here. He had not had a spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery. He didn't even really know the problem. He knew that when he drank, things got bad. You know, he would probably lose his family. He might have to go back to the asylum but didn't realize that he actually was powerless over this thing, that he was going to need a a power greater than himself. He did not know. And the last time I studied this with another group, somebody pointed out in here, you know, they, they read it like, I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remembered I felt irritated. I had to be a say, I, I, I. And they counted the I's in here. I don't know, 13, 16. I think even in the next paragraph, there's a lot of I's. I have them circled as a result of that study. And it shows clearly how he, it was he, me, myself, and I. It was him. I, 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 I. And the insanity of thinking, you know, I can go into a bar and get a sandwich, and so on and so forth. Um, He didn't know that the allergy of the body would require, require him to eat. You know, we don't realize that we don't really have a choice. When people say, I'm going to get back on track, you know, back on track, we don't realize that our body is required to, to pick up food. You know, there is no choice. It's like eating a box of X-Lax and using some willpower. You know, I will not void. I will not void. I will not void. No way. It's not going to happen. So uh, the obsession of the mind here is just real clear. You know, the insane thoughts. I'll go here for business. Uh, I had no intention, you know, of doing anything. But boom, 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 boom. Um, So anyway, thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Rita. Rita, go ahead. Hi, this is Joanne. This is Rita, a compulsive obedient. Uh, I, I love this story because that is so me, and I never realized until I started coming to these meetings that this obsession starts in my head. I, I just didn't know where it came from. I guess I was, I, I didn't have my spiritual life in order. And, you know, it always starts like that for me. I wonder if I could just, like, have... Oh, maybe a little bite. Oh, it'll it'll work this time. Oh, maybe I could have a taste. And I'm always off and running. I didn't have a God that I could go to that I thought was interested in this. I never even, even going back to the other paragraph, thought that, you know, um, to ask God <laughs> for something like this, I just thought, like, if God would let me wake up then, then I that was the church for me or wherever I was going. Um, so I always it always starts in my head. <clears throat> Excuse me. I always think I can just get away with it, and I always did. If I keep doing the same thing, I got the same results. So I'm so grateful to know that when it starts in my head, I now can go to God, and He is the only one that can bring that out of my head and help me to get the peace back. And for that, I'm so grateful, and I love this story. And thank you for letting me share it. That I pass. Thank you, Rita. And I think I heard. Uh, was it Joanne? Maybe not. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go yes, ahead. This is Joanne. Okay. Um, Joanne will let Paula go, and then you can go ahead, okay? Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This would be Paula, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I wanted to say, you know, we already we see the guy has a lot of eye trouble. 
And, uh, yeah, I can identify with that. You know, he says, I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember. Now he's remembering things because they asked him to. They asked him to go over exactly how it happened. See, that's it. We think, it just happened. No, it didn't. There were things that lead up, and we're seeing here what led Jim uh, clearly. Remember that eye trouble. I felt irritated. Ooh, well, this is bad. That I had been a salesman for a concern I once owned. Now, that part said so slightly. But look at the depth of it. I once owned this place. I was really irritated. That irritation grows. And then I had a few words with the boss. Oh, boy. The place that I was, he was. But nothing serious. Oh, we know about that. We always make light of it because we don't want to look at it. But, you know, he goes on and with each decision. Where does he stop? I had no intention of drinking. Stops at a bar. Hmm. Let me think. Now, this man had been how many times? So we see clearly again, I just thought I'd get a sandwich. There it is. Thoughts are starting to take over. The thoughts are starting to take over now. No, not now. Way before this. Way before this. It doesn't happen immediately. There is a building up of. And the part that I love, I was sober. The man wasn't drinking. I was abstinent. Wasn't eating, so I was fine there. And there it goes. Failed to enlarge upon his spiritual experience. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Joanne, go ahead. Hi, this is Joanne. Can I share? Yes, go ahead, Joanne. Thank you. Um, when when we started reading this, it said, I came to work on Tuesday. What happened to Monday? Um, the second thing that came to me was that, you know, he was irritated, but really he was full of resentment. And resentment cuts off the sunlight of the spirit. Resentment puts me into a downward path. Um, his thinking, or my thinking, can be diluted. Um, I, um, when I think I'm working this program, I really need to, to see who's really working the. Pro- you know, it's God working the program with me. I'm I'm the recipient of my recovery. I am, you know, the gratitude that I actually am in recovery. Um, and his thinking and my thinking can get so diluted when I don't live in gratitude and um, looking at what's blocking God's power in my life to keep me in recovery for today. Uh, Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Joanne. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and that sentence, um, I remember I felt irritated, also jumped out at me. Because the big book says that we are restless, we are irritable, and we are discontent until we take in that substance. Um, And for me, in my case, it was food. I remember I felt irritated. And what did I do when I felt irritated? What did I do when I felt anything? What did I do when I felt anything? You know, what we know about Jim is that he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And what that says to me is that when I failed to enlarge my spiritual life, the only response I had to any feeling at all 
all was food. That was my response. That was my response, regardless, regardless of what was going on. You know, um, I mean, I think it's amazing that he even, you know, was able to deconstruct what happened enough to say, I remember I felt irritated. I remember I felt irritated. I wasn't even in touch enough to know that I felt irritated. I know that there was something going on. I know that I had some kind of a feeling. And, you know, you can, you can just hear the kind of storm on the horizon building. As he says, I felt irritated. You know, I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. You know, he owned the business and now he's working for the person who owns the business. I mean, who would not be irritated with that? Who would not be irritated with that? I certainly would. And, you know, his mind worked in the same way mine, mine worked. Well, I, I have no intention. I have no intention of eating, but I'm just going to stop by the bakery. I'm going to stop by the bakery, and maybe I'm just going to take a look at what's in the cases. Maybe what I'll do is I'll pick some things up for, for my friends, my family. I'll, I'll buy something. I'll buy something. Not for myself, mind you. Oh, no, not for myself. I'm going to go in here, and I'm just going to take a look. Just going to take a look. Or at the grocery store. I'm in the grocery store, and I'm down the aisle that, uh, you know, where I can maybe whip something up. Maybe I can bake someone happy. Um, you know, that was the way, that was the way my cunning, baffling, and disease worked. That's how it worked for me. I had no intention whatsoever. No intention of eating. Nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to take that first compulsive bite. I'm just going to stop by here, though, and take a look. And, you know, for me, when I felt irritated, again, the only thing I knew, the only way I knew to get that ease and comfort was to take that first compulsive bite. And that's what I did, and I repeated that over and over again, regardless of whatever my best intentions were. Whatever my best intentions were, whatever I told myself I was not going to do, I did. Because I, didn't, I couldn't not do it. I couldn't not do it. I had to. I had to. And... Um, you know, we can see that Jim's thinking, you know, that disease is already in there. He felt irritated. And what did he do with that? He just let that fester. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that today I've got, you know, this big book that I can crack open and it tells me what I can do when I'm irritated. It tells me what I can do, to, you know, if I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. And um, with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Well, what, what, the, what we're uh, reading about here with Jim is he is telling us about the half dozen times. He found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. Half a dozen times in rapid su succession. Not just one time. Not just one time. But what happens once he picked up is he was off and running. Half a dozen times is what followed. And until the obsession has been expelled by the steps that we work, we are in danger. We are in danger. And he was in danger. You know, that peculiar mental twist that happens to all of us. If you're a compulsive overeater of my type, then that happens to all of us. And we are in danger. Until we work through the steps, we are in a race against time. To work those steps as if our lives depend on it and to maintain that spiritual life as a result of working those steps. So 
still no thought, still no thought, still no thought, he's telling us, of drinking. But we get to that point where we cannot differentiate the true from the false when we're in the disease. The self-deception is what gets us. We think this time it's going to be different. This time we're not standing on shaking ground. But that's not the truth for Jim, and it was not the truth for me either. Until I worked these steps in their entirety and then kept on doing what I knew to be true to maintain that spiritual life, I, like Jim, would be in danger. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Deborah. May I speak? Sure, go ahead, Deborah. Uh, yes, I look back over my history and I identify very closely with all those eyes, even though I didn't know I really wanted to look at them. Um, and it was, I had done this program. I had done it. And yes, I believe that, you know, a higher power had helped me, but, you know, it was maybe 10% him and 90% me. And my ego had not really got the deflation that it totally needed because as I look back, where Jim had failed to enlarge his spiritual life, I think that hits the nail and describes it on the head very clearly why I had years of experimentation, research and development, going around the revolving door. And, you know, after a while, with enough knowledge and some abstinence under my belt, I really felt I was in a recovered state of mind, and yet I didn't expand. I did to the best of my ability, and I thought I had, but time taught me and experience taught me that I needed more because until I really surrendered and worked the big book, as it was written, and go through all the steps. And then that included expanding my spiritual life that I could drive out the eyes and think in terms of, you know, surrendering, admitting I was powerless, um, and only God had the power. It wasn't, it was all 100% my higher power, which I choose to call God. And one day at a time, and it's a choice I have to make every morning. Um, And I'm glad I want to get quiet and ask my higher power, how can I be of service today? How can I expand my spiritual awareness? What can I do to, um, you know, make sure that I can carry this message that long-term recovery is possible, the obsession is gone, and I am very grateful for these meetings, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Deborah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move to the next one? Yes, this is Marcia from Maryland. May I speak? Um, sure, Marcia, go ahead. Um, this thing about ego has been repeated over and over again. Uh, the ego deflation is something that 
I have ha- always had a, a problem with. I had a problem with it as a kid, and I made a decision at at a fairly young age that I would never let anyone def- try to deflate my ego again. And I would not let myself be crushed again. And so when it, this man talked about um, being um, a salesman at a concern he once owned, I could hear that, and I could really see that uh, as something that um, I could relate with. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I know I need this program and I know I need this particular meeting is that I, I need to be brought down to size, the right size. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Judy B., would you please read for us? Good morning. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured, excuse me, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Wow, this paragraph is loaded. First of all, much of it is in italics, and that, that's a um, signal to us that this is very, very, very important. And, and it is. Um, just even the first word, suddenly. So many times, suddenly, something happens. We have a thought. It, it comes from nowhere, from out of the blue. It's suddenly there. We don't know where it came from. We just sense that it is there. And we, we have to stop. That's, we have to stop at that moment. And look at our thinking, because at this point, all reasoning was pushed aside for Jim. I mean, he was rationalizing in such an insane way. And, and that is what I used to do. I mean, just suddenly the thought crossed my mind. I mean, it can come in an instant. And if, <clears throat> I think as we work this program, we become more and more aware of that moment when the thought comes. And that is the moment of truth. That is the moment when we can stop and we can check and, and, and just know that that's the moment when we have to ask God for help. If we follow through with our thinking, we're doomed. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. 
I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart. And how often I vaguely sensed that something was not a good idea. And yet, when we're not in in good spiritual condition, that 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 uh, knowing that we have is pushed aside, and, and we and I used to just just follow through with that with that idea that yes, this food might soothe me, might make me more comfortable, and it was such a lie. It was such a lie, and I'm just so grateful to have studied this big book with everyone else and to know that um, we do not have to continue to live that way. You know, we we have a choice now, and um, when that thought comes into our mind, we can turn to our higher power and we can ask for help. We don't have to follow through every crazy thought that comes into our head. And I thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. This paragraph is the obsession of the mind at work, is it not? Is it not? This was like me, self-deception, self-deception. And I could rationalize and minimize and justify everything that I was doing when those thoughts appeared. When those thoughts appeared, and once more, I was going to test my personal control. And once again, the idea that somehow I could control and enjoy my eating, I was going to prove myself exception to the rule. You know, one more experiment. One more experiment. And I would say to myself, well, that experiment went well. And that would justify trying it again, trying it again. But once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. And testing my personal control was going to get me what I always got me, back into the food. Demoralized, miserable, remorse, guilt. You know, the insanity of the next morning, the guilt and remorse of the next morning after trying one more time that experiment would always get me the same place. You know, until I was miserable enough, I don't know what it takes to crush the human ego. What I do know is once I was at that place, the bottom was where I stopped digging and said, if there is a God, help me. Help me. Because this is where Jim was too, thinking that suddenly this thought crossed his mind. But we see in the paragraph previously that there was a lot going on before. Before. That whiskey just didn't jump off the bar and into his milk. You know, all action is born in thought. And those thoughts that preceded that action were the ones that always got me into trouble. And thank God this big book teaches me that power of the obsession. But there is a power greater than that obsession. And it's to be found in the God of my understanding and the working of the steps. And with that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Janice. And we will uh, we'll reread that paragraph tomorrow when we start our meeting. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Carol P., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.